The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. I'm Extension Entomologist Scott Graham. And I'm Extension Plant Pathologist Amanda Shear, and we are excited to be releasing regularly scheduled podcast episodes with up-to-date information about Alabama crops throughout the year. You'll be hearing from Extension personnel from all over the state with the latest research and management recommendations. How are you doing today, Scott? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Amanda? I'm doing good. Got my first uh, set of trials in the ground. Um, Got a cotton trial um, at PBU last week and a peanut trial in Headland yesterday before the rains came in. Yeah, yeah. As we record, we're kind of dodging rains here, there, and yonder across the state trying to go where they're not so we can get (laughs) some stuff done in the field. All right, we're excited about our guest today. We have Dr. Kathy Lawrence, who is an alumni professor and the Joe Klepper Endowed uh, Professor here in the Department of Entomology and Plant Pathology at Auburn. Didn't know this until today. She was actually hired as the soil-borne and foliar disease plant pathologist of crops in Alabama, but has since kind of moved to the the resident nematologist. Kathy, how are you doing? Good. Thank you. for. It's enjoyed being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on today. Uh, we've recently had some small like farm producer visits and a, a meeting with some Alabama crop consultants. And actually, one of the biggest things they asked me, well, is it is Kathy Lawrence still working on nematodes? Oh. And, you know, <laughs> just wanted to know some of your research and that. So it's kind of a perfect time to have you on the, the podcast. So we'll just kind of jump into some of those nematode-related questions. Um, so what are some of the main nematode uh, species or populations Populations that are here in the state of Alabama that cause such, you know, big economic damage to crops. In Alabama, our major nematodes are the root knot nematode, and I don't know if you want to know Melodigyne incognita, scientific <laughs> name, but that's our southern cotton nematode, and that's one of our main ones. It does like all the sandy soils, so I find it most often in the southern part of the state. The reniform nematode, Rotolinculus reniformis, a nice name, rolls off your tongue. But it's more of a silty soil type of nematode. So that one's most often up north. But there is a place in the southern area near Atmore where there's a hot spot of those nematodes too. So those are the two big ones that we have. Although there's lots of little ones that show up, we see a lot too. So in corn nowadays, when we planted a little early and it's nice and cool like it showed up and wet this year, we have a stubby root that's been showing up. So that one's been common. And a few lesions have been causing some damage, too. So those have been some newer ones. In general, do you see different above-ground symptoms from the, the various below actual nematodes? So the cotton, does it show different stresses? And above-ground, no. Below-ground, the root knot will give us some nice galls. The reniform won't. But truly, our best symptom we have is yield loss. Yield loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly a visual that too you can late. identify. Yeah, yeah it's too, too late. late exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because the symptoms can be kind of nondescript, the above-ground symptoms, where it'll just be stunted, kind of unhealthy-looking plants. So then you don't know, okay, is it a fertility issue, or is it some other disease, or is it nematode pressure? So yeah, it's definitely a challenge if you're just going based on the above-ground symptoms, That's for sure. exactly right. It's so difficult to figure it out. So when they call me, it's usually yield losses continue to mm-hmm. get worse. Yeah. You know, one of the questions that I get a lot as an entomologist is, is the weather going to mean we're going to have less bugs or more bugs this year? And the answer is probably not, but 
Maybe, yeah. Is, <laughs> is, uh, is that, do you think environmental conditions do anything for nematodes? Or uh, They're so low in the ground, my guess, again, would be probably not. But Yeah, the, the cold weather doesn't seem to bother them. So I know when we get so many freezing days, we hope for less insects. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't bothered the nematodes so yeah. far. Now, wet weather... The nematodes like this this moisture, they're so happy. When we have a dry year, I can't hardly find them. But when we have last year was such a nice moist year, they were everywhere. Now you sounded a little bit more excited about the, the wet weather. Yeah. Than the dry weather yeah. <laughs> they were nematodes everywhere to be found, which is not great for the growers, but it was easy to do tests out there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's when we learn the most is in high pressure situations. That's true. Since we've kind of talked about soil type and their effect on different you know, nematode populations that you see and also the soil moisture. For control, you know, what can producers do in terms of crop rotations um, to kind of help minimize some of those pests, especially in heavy pressure areas? And that's the best thing they can ever do is the rotation of the crops. So our reniform nematode does not go to corn and there are resistant soybeans and it doesn't go to peanuts. So there's other crops. If you can rotate to any of those others, that helps tremendously. The root knot nematode does go to a lot of other crops, but the southern root knot that attacks cotton does not attack peanut, so that's an ideal rotation. Grain sorghums are iffy, so it depends on the variety, so we need to read those bags if we're doing something like that. So we, we've also done some winter crops, and the wheat and the, wheat and the rye and the barley, it depends on the variety, so we need to read those bags to see who's a host and who's not a good or, good or bad host on that part. One question I have when you're going there is, is there a certain amount of time we need to move out of cotton before we, you know, if we move to peanuts, do we need to be in peanuts for one year, two years? Is one year enough? One year's good. Yeah. Two years better. Okay. Okay. And even in peanuts, we've seen where you have really heavy pressure of like root knot nematodes, even if you go up out to four years out, if you can, which most producers can't, you see it drop really dramatically the longer you're rotated out of peanuts for nematode pressure. Okay. So yeah, one to two years, definitely. And the one thing that we should add to that is they need to keep it weed-free at the same time. So in the corn, corn is the most difficult rotation because you do kind of let the, at the end, you're just letting it die down and dry out so you can harvest it. And if those morning glories and pigweeds show up, then they're a great host for those nematodes. Yeah. So it's hard to keep that corn clean, but you really need to. We, we won't tell our weed science colleagues they get any credit at all. So. Okay, got it. <laughs> uh, so what about, the, does tillage have any effect? or? Yeah, and it depends on the nematode. So no-till in the northern area, you don't want to plant right back into that row because you're planting back into those roots where they were. So soil conservation, you have to make your choices. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, the entomologist, we're... Yeah. We, we understand, you know, the positives of no-till, but it does bring its own yes. separate issues that we, we exactly. weren't used to dealing yes. with. Yeah, so we, we had a Audrey Gamble on the soil scientist a couple weeks ago, and we, we mm -hmm. kind of yeah. talked about that a little bit. Yeah, the no-till is really good for the soil, but sometimes it increases disease. I know that in addition to crop rotation, um, variety selection can probably go the farthest um, on top of that. So do you just kind of want to get a rough rundown of some of the varieties that you've looked at for cotton or corn or soybean and kind of go with your best recommendations for producers? And we do think very much to our cotton commission that always gives us some funding to put all the varieties out there. So last year we looked at phytogen 332 
322, I gotta get my numbers straight, which is reniform resistant. And it did very well at Tennessee Valley at our research station. So that one was very good. There's also a phytogen 443, which is more of a longer season that we didn't test so far up north. But I haven't tested that one, but the 332 did really well. This year, we also have asked Delta Pine for 2141, so we'll put that in the test and we'll know by next year. There's a whole handful of root knot resistant ones. So we looked at 360 last year down at the plant breeding unit where we have so much root knot, and it did pretty well, but we had a few hurricanes that kind of yeah. gave us some trouble there. But there's a dozen of them that are different ones that are good for root knot resistance that are out there too, and they're in Phytogen and Delta Pine and Stoneville. So whichever one you want to pick, just look for that. Some of them will tell you whether they're one gene or two genes, so I always get the most genes. Yeah. <laughs> So there are quite a few out there to choose, and that variety is the major decision that they make. Yeah, and peanuts, it's a little bit simpler. There's really only three varieties that have resistant to root knot nematodes. So that's your TIF guard, your TIF NV, and Georgia 14N, but they're not resistant to lesion nematodes. It's only root knot. So there's not quite as much room to play with in peanuts, but there's definitely a lot to choose from in cotton, so. Yes, there's a lot more coming in. And it's sad that way to where one one nematode resistance doesn't give you resistance to all of them. That's the sad part. So you gotta know exactly which ones. And for soybeans, that's the same thing. So if we pop in with the soybean variety, they'll tell you if it's reniform resistant, soybean cyst resistant, or root knot resistant. So you have to know which nematode you have to match it to that soybean variety. And I've given up doing all the soybean variety trials because there's hundreds of them. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so many. It's hard to choose, yes. And I guess the only way to know what, uh, I guess, species is at the proper term of nematodes you're dealing with would be to actually take soil samples and send them to either the soil testing lab here at Auburn or or wherever else you might do it, and they run analysis on them, I guess. Yes, they can identify what's in the soil. They just do it to genera, but that's fine. That's enough for what we need to know. Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of transition now that we've kind of covered nematodes, um, probably another big, like, seedling issue is seedling diseases in cotton. And I know that sometimes nematode feeding can actually increase some of those diseases that you see for those soil-borne pathogens because it kind of gives them a route into the root system. And this recent bout of cool, wet weather that we had, um, I would imagine any producers that had cotton in the ground might be concerned about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you just kind of want to go over some of the common fungal pathogens that we see attacking cotton seedlings? Sure, yes. We're expecting this season to have a little bit of pythium out there because that's one of those water molds that likes this nice, wet, moist weather. So we're expecting that. Although across the state, I haven't ever found a shortage of the Rhizoctonia, which is our sorshin that seems to be a hot season, but it shows up everywhere too. So we have that one. And we do up in the northern areas, we've got some Thalaviopsis up there. So that black root, any plant we plant a little early, we've got some good Labiopsis isolates and the fields that you can test those in. And Fusarium is never at a loss in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the major four, and they're just basically cover the whole state. And I did plant the seedling disease trials two weeks ago, just looking for it. But gosh, this weather this last few nights has been some of the worst. So we'll see. Yeah, that was one of my first cotton trials that went in the ground was looking at the, the seedling treatments. So I'm assuming we're probably going to get some good pressure. So good for us. 
Yes, good for us. So we're testing those fungicides. We'll know what really is going to work. But most of the fungicides that come depend on the seed that you've picked out. So whichever brand you go with, it comes with those. And that, you know, that's one thing I've kind of noticed with with insecticides and things. We have plenty of insecticide seed treatments, but there's also people who want to put out liquid in-furrow sprays or granular in-furrow uh, applications. I know, you know, AgLogic, uh, Outer Carb, has got some, some nematode control as well. I guess control is a good word. Suppression, I'm not sure. Are there any liquid in-furrow fungicides that people might consider, or is it pretty much just what's on your seed for an actual seedling disease? We used to have some liquids that we sprayed in-furrow, and I know they still, some growers do, but the fluopyram, which is our new mm. vellum, is a fungicide. Yeah, so yeah that's right. It's yeah. used both directions, so it's going to give you a benefit both ways if you want to do an in-furrow spray. So there were quite a few, but they all tended to move to the seed treatments because it's just faster to get all everything planted when we do get an opportunity yeah. with this rain. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about calibrating and things like right. that. It's, it's done. You just load it up. And you can move out. Hit the road. Yes. So just keeping on the, the topic of, you know, seed treatments and different fungicides, um, you know, some of them work really well against, you know, rhizoctonia, which you've mentioned. Um, but I think there's only one that really works well with Pythium. Do you want to kind of talk about some of the differences with some of those uh, seed treatments? And Pythium is just one, what we used to call a lower fungi. Now it's in a different classification, but there's different fungicides that work well on the pythiums and different ones that work well on the fusariums as well as the rhizox. So you, usually we're looking at a blend on our seed treatments. So any protection that we can do for that seed to make sure we get up a healthy crop always helps for the yield at the end. So that's so much that's added to the seed that I wouldn't skip that. Along with the insecticides and a little nematicide, and there are some other growth promotions that can be added that can help quite a bit too. Now, I guess the kind of the unfortunate thing is it's not like insects where we have thresholds and we can spray if we need to. Really, if you get a, a seedling disease issue, there's not much you can do, right? Prevention, that's yeah. what we do. Prevention is 90% of what we do. Yeah, you want to bring up that healthy crop. I think a long time ago we called it the first 40 days of a healthy crop and mm. you made it. I don't know if they still say that, but just bringing up the healthy crop. So I'm adding as many things as I can in the beginning just to make sure we start off so that then we can start working on the insects. we got to have something to protect to begin with. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's exactly. all about trying to get a good good start. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Dr. Kathy Lawrence, we sure do appreciate your time today. We know you're busy and got a lot going on, but we feel like we learned a lot here today and appreciate you, you taking time out to visit with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely enjoyed it. Yes, very much. Thank you. All right. We'll be looking out for another exciting episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast coming soon. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.